0: Hello, and welcome to Argus's The Crude Report, a podcast series on global crude oil markets. My name is Jessica Tran, and I am your host for today's episode. Trade relations between the United States and China have been the hot topic for some time now, and yet it still feels fresh because it seems to constantly shift. In what looks like a belated attempt to build bridges, it seems that Beijing has nudged state-owned firms into buying more U.S. crude and has even been seen to waive import duties when asked. To help peel this onion a bit, I've enlisted the help of Argus Vice President and editor of the Argus China Petroleum Service, Tom Reed. Tom, what's going on here?
1: Oh, hey, Jess. Um, yeah, it, it, it has been up and down a bit, um, to put it very mildly. Um, obviously, the two sides signed a trade deal in uh, January, which committed China to buying uh, a huge amount of U.S. Uh, commodities, energy products, uh, which a lot of people thought at the time was far too high, that it was unrealistically high. In fact, a lot of people have been saying that this was, you know, really just a symbolic gesture on Beijing's part to try and placate uh, US President Donald Trump uh, and and butter him up a bit, you know, keep him sweet. Obviously, since then, uh, relations between the two sides have deteriorated very markedly. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, from President Trump's perspective, he sees a lot of electoral capital uh, in, in China bashing, um, and uh, that has obviously colored relations. What's been interesting this month is that we have seen a very large increase in Chinese purchases of u uh, s. crude. Um Now, a lot of people have been surprised by this. They say, you know, u s. crude is not the most competitive uh, crude on offer to Chinese buyers. And they wonder, uh, you know, what's behind this? And it does seem to be the case that uh, Beijing is nudging its state-owned oil companies into uh, buying more U.S. crude in what appears to be um, a belated attempt to, you know, uh, appeal to President Trump, appease President Trump even. Um, So we've seen uh, one state-owned company buy, I think it was uh, eight million barrels of WTI this month. That'll be arriving in October. We've seen independent refiners as well, and they're not usually buyers of U.S. crude, which tends to be either uh, too light or too uh, sour for them. They've also come into the market and they've bought another three million barrels and that'll be arriving in September, October. So very interesting development. It does look, though, uh, that it might be kind of too late to uh, salvage the trade deal aspect of the two countries relationship.
0: It's great that you mentioned that, because I was going to ask, um, considering all these purchases, like how much progress has been made toward the phase one trade agreement quota?
1: Well, I mean, very little, really, because for the, for a start, the target set were unrealistically high. We calculated in January that the, that China would need to buy eight hundred thousand barrels a day of U.S. crude, which has never happened. At July prices, obviously, prices now are lower. That we reckon probably translates into an import requirement of about one point two million barrels per day of U.S. crude. It's no more likely. Uh, now, really, than it, it was uh, in January. What's interesting, though, was obviously when markets collapsed in late March in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, the Chinese government stopped cutting, stopped reducing the regulated prices for fuel at the pump, gasoline and diesel. And that left refiners with an a very, very chunky margin on paper. Even though demand was dead in China because of lockdown, you know, refiners were looking at refining margins of sort of $30 a barrel, and that encouraged them to buy an awful lot of U.S. crude. So we did see them come into the U.S. market during their own lockdown and buy about 1.3 million barrels per day of crude, of U.S. crude for delivery Uh, this month. And we've seen that arriving in Chinese ports this month. That wasn't enough, however, of course, to put China back on course to hitting its trade deal targets, because uh, that would require it to uh, import that amount of crude over the whole year.
0: So what does happen if the target isn't met?
1: Well, I mean, given the target never appeared realistic, I think a lot of people thought it was really going to be a question of how President Trump felt regarding China at the time of the US elections. Uh, and how he saw uh, responding to China would uh, fit within his uh, electoral campaign. You know, By touting the success of the deal, uh, obviously President Trump uh, can convey an image of, of a powerful deal maker, able to get things done. Uh, on the other hand, if uh, China is still very much in the doghouse um, with accusations of uh, flying around, of spying, and of, of course the closure of the Chinese uh, consulate in Houston, This month, then then perhaps, you know, he might deem the trade deal to have failed. But either way, I think it was ultimately uh, expected to be very much up to President Trump's discretion as to whether or not China uh, had achieved its goals.
0: Okay, so I guess heading back toward commodities a little bit. Um, I've also read reports that the global market is flooded with refined products. So with that understanding, in normal times, some of the crude that China buys is usually refined and then exported. So what is China doing to offset this decreasing global product demand?
1: That is a really good question because you know China's recovery post-COVID uh, again, be said to be post-covid, it's been really remarkable. When we look at the uh, crude unit utilization rate, the amount of uh, the percentage uh, utilization of Chinese refineries, it's a V. You know, this is a V-shaped recovery in terms of oil uh, demand. It cratered in, in in March, April, and it sprang back up. Hit, and refinery runs hit record highs in June, July. That obviously leaves China with an awful lot of product. Uh, At the same time, uh, in the last month, most of China has been deluged with unprecedented amounts of rain. And uh, that's led to huge flooding all along uh, the Yangtze River, uh, and particularly affecting South China. So, so people haven't really been able to drive. So there's a huge product surplus building up in China, which it's going to have to export. Uh, at the same time, you know, we're seeing a resurgence uh, of COVID cases elsewhere in the world. We've seen uh, Singapore gasoline refining margins uh, turn negative. Again, we've seen the time spread on Singapore gasoline turn into contango, which means that, you know, pr- it's uh, cheaper to Buy gasoline now than in the future, which is a good indicator of weak prompt demand. So, where is China going to place those barrels? We don't know. It keeps looking at markets further and further afield, and, and what we're seeing in the product space is, is also happening in the crude space, where we've seen uh, one of the you know the big Asian market, Dubai crude, that's also gone into contango again with weak prompt prices, just as uh, the OPEC Plus group is starting to increase supply after those deep supply cuts we saw. So we are kind of looking at a, a, a very very weak you know, third, early fourth quarter, it, look, it seems for oil.
0: Okay, and I also read in the latest Argus China Petroleum report that China is still hoping that its homegrown crude futures contract, INE, will become an international marker. How is it going with that exchange? Is it gaining popularity? And I also read that it's the exchange itself is booking crude oil storage capacity. Why and how does that work?
1: That has been fascinating to watch. Actually, China launched the Shanghai INE Sour Crude Futures Index in 2018 after uh, about a decade of planning. Uh, this was supposed to be, you know, the Asian benchmark uh, from Beijing's perspective. It was very much hoping that that would gain traction. It hasn't. As a global crude marker, it's sort of it's been very heavily dominated by uh, financial and retail investors. So we've seen. Very, very high daily trade volume, but very low open interest, which is, you know, positions held to expire or held overnight uh, by commercial market participants. That changed. That changed in um, uh, April when suddenly the price of the INE spiked to $14 above the price of DME Oman, which is a kind of comparable sour crude futures uh, index a more ex- uh, established crude futures index that made it very attractive for people to buy on the Dme and sell into the INE. Unfortunately of course there weren't enough storage tanks for people to deliver all that crude into. so the INE raced around uh, arranging more storage tanks and and so we have seen the inE price converge with the DME price it's looking more realistic as a crude marker once again. Has it now become, you know, uh, doesn't have a prospect of becoming a global crude marker? It's far too early to say, you know, one swallow does not a summer make. I think it was, it's going to require a, a few more months, you know, six, 12 months of, of consistently returning a reliable price signal before people start to look at maybe indexing uh, physical deals against that INE price.
0: Okay and then and what about the whole thing with booking storage?
1: Well, I mean, this was this was the thing the the INE didn't have the storage space. There was no storage space in the INE exchange for sellers to deliver crude into, which is one of the reasons why the price went crazy, you know, because it's the responsibility of the seller to find that tank space. The sellers had no tank space. Uh, There was no tank space in the INE system. So, you know, there was a drop in selling interest into the INE because sellers realized that they would be, you know, uh, faced with a very... Difficult decisions when it came to deliver that crude. And that was why we see the INE arranging the lease of additional tank space. The peculiar thing was, of course, that you know, Chinese imports over the summer have been astronomically high, um, really, really very high. So there wasn't a lot of storage space available in China for the INE to lease. It ended up leasing some tanks up in Shandong province, which is a province dominated by independent refiners who don't run the type of crude, you know, that you can develop you deliver into the INE tanks. Uh, Shandong Refiners run sweet crude. The Iony Exchange uh, uses sour crude. So now we've got a huge buildup of uh, sour crude from the Middle East, mainly uh, Iraqi Basra light, uh, sitting in Shandong Province, where it's hard to see it really finding much uh, demand. You know, from the local independent refining sector, it'll be very interesting to see. How that plays out. I mean, one of the peculiarities of that was that China actually exported some Omani crude. Bear in mind that China is the largest importer, the largest market for Omani crude. It actually exported a small cargo this month when it became cheaper uh, to buy on the iron exchange than it would have been to buy that same crude uh, from Oman.
0: It's always but, interesting to see what creative ways people will uh, find when trying to... Yeah, that to was, I think, dollar.
1: rather unexpected. But it did very much play into the Chinese government's narrative of, you know, uh, the INE as as providing, I guess, a clearing price for crude. Um, the fact that this was a, an aberration of, of, of uh, resulting from various, um, I suppose, distortions in the pricing uh, structure... Uh, is ultimately neither here nor there you know if, if these sort of trends persist then maybe the ine could become uh, a marker but the consensus is really that it's far too early to say and that one or two months of sending out a reliable price signal is is not enough to encourage people to to price trades against it
0: so i guess the only consensus is really that this topic isn't going away anytime soon so it's i'm sure we'll it.
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'll be watching <laughs> <not sure>. it <laughs> yeah
0: So I'm sure we'll have to update this uh, this discussion sooner rather than later. Um, Thank you so much for your time today, Tom.
1: That's entirely my pleasure. Lovely to speak to you.
0: For more insight, analysis and a plethora of Chinese data, such as crude import volumes and apparent oil demand, refinery runs and margins and crude storage capacity, consider subscribing to our Argus China Petroleum Service. You can find more information on the service at www.argusmedia.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to your joining us on the next episode of The Crude Report.